Hello and welcome to Boag World, the podcast covering all things related to web design. So hopefully, even if you're a project manager um, just running a website, we've got something for you. My name's Paul Boag and I'm joined today by Marcus Lillington. Hello and I want sympathy. Why I'm, do you want sympathy? Because I'm very poorly. Oh, for <laughs> crying out loud. You've got a bit of a cold. I have got a lot of cold, actually. And if you can't understand me this week, it's not because I'm mumbling. It's because I'm full of snot, frankly. You don't sound any different than me. <laughs> You always sound like set myself up for that one. You always sound like you're full of something. I'm not sure whether it's snot or not. Starts with S, ends in T. Yes. Um, Okay. Um, Yes. Welcome to the podcast. You just completely threw me there. Um, You've uh, thrown my train of thought entirely. Right. Hello and welcome. Um, Right. In this podcast, uh, we are going to shift things around a little bit from what I've said we were going to be doing over the last few weeks. Um, I like you, Paul. No. no. <laughs> well, I mean, we did say when we, we considered this whole thing of planning ahead it's that it, experimental. it, it wasn't yeah. really going to work. No. Um, so instead of going, we said that this week was going to be defining your scope, um, decide, for defining the scope of your project. And the next week was going to be um, the sales process and where your website fits into the sales process. But it occurred to me that you can't really... Defi- uh, define the scope of your project until you know where your website sits in the sales process. Yeah, you're right. So I've turned them around and doing them around the other way. But there you go. But we're not getting on to all of that yet anyway, because we've got a, <coughs> a lot of kind of newsy related stuff that I need to do first. Yeah, we're all feeling a bit chaffed, aren't we? Well, I wasn't going to do that one first. All okay, right. just change the order. That's <laughs> fine. You've got good detailed notes in front of you, but are you going to do it in the order that they've got it? Of course not. Just and to also, throw you. That's my job. Yeah. And also, I don't know why you're saying you're chuffed, because there's nothing to do with you. No. I'm the guest of honour, not you. Just remember that, matey, <laughs> when you come along. Okay, we what know. we're talking about is we're talking about the fact that um, there's a group of people um, that throw kind of random interval get-together dinners, and they're called geekdinners.co.uk. Actually, it's Geek Dinner. Not, I don't think there's an S. Uh, and, it, yeah, they throw these uh, these random geek dinners for uh, different people. It's um, obvious why you won it, then, and I didn't. Why? Because I'm the geek. You're the geek. <laughs> for years, I've been trying to avoid being called geek. But now I'm going to embrace it as being a good thing. Yes, it's I'll wonderful. Stop coughing and sniffling artificially just to get in sympathy. <laughs> oh, you died. Yeah. Sorry, so anyway, a tear coming out of my eye now. So no, let's go back to how to how um, great I am. Yeah, go on. That's more important. Yeah. Up. So this geek dinner, basically, they throw it kind of every now and again, and they get um, some supposedly well-known person <laughs> along. I mean, they've had before. They've had Molly, whose yeah. surname I can't pronounce. Hot schlag. Hot schlag. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, you probably <laughs> just completely got that wrong. Molly.com, anyway. Yeah. Who's like, 
you know, heads up the web standards uh, team and, you know, kind of works with Macromedia and works with uh, Microsoft on compliant browsers and all this kind of stuff. Um, so she's really important. And then they did, who else did they did it with? They did it with David Shea, the guy that did yeah. CSS Zen Gardens. <coughs> and then they did it with Tim O'Reilly, that kind of, you know, is, is the techie guy that you always buy books from, the, the O'Reilly books. And you're next. And now I'm. I'm oh, they were desperate. Well, obviously, I think. yeah. They obviously had to one fill in on February. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we, so we're, we're going up to London. Marcus is tagging along, you know, living off my ch- shirt tails or whatever. My reflected glory. Yeah. You know, it's only because I'm envious of your pop star career. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just you won't be able to find the restaurant. <laughs> no, that's, that's very true, actually. Yeah. Um, yes, I need somebody to hold my hand. Uh, being a geek, I'm not used to going outside. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, up in London on the 23rd of February. Um, in a, It's only in a pub. It can't be that big a venue. You know, it's not Wembley or anything. Yeah, Wembley Conference Centre. Yeah. So it's about, um, it's a pub called The Polar Bear, which is just off Leicester Square. If you want details, check out geekdinner.co.uk. It might be Geek Dinners, now I'm worried about it, but one or the other, I'm sure you can work it out. Um, And then just uh, let them know um, whether you're going to come or not. And please come. <laughs> I'm just so paranoid that I'm going to be sitting in this room. By I've got so so nothing to lose. No, I know. You're just going to sit there laughing and pointing if yeah. no one comes. Apparently, I'm reliably informed that there are people that come whoever the guest is, which didn't really make me feel any better, to be honest. Well, it probably will on the night. Yeah. Oh, is it? Um, I think it was either David Shea or Molly's had like 100 people. So I'll be lucky if I get like three. <laughs> Well, maybe we go for sort of how famous are they next to you in a percentage term. Yeah, so we can work it out. Maybe say 10% as, as oh. famous as them, being generous, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but, um, so, so if we get 10, 10 people, people... That'd be good. Yeah, we can look on it positively and, and, yeah. and put a positive spin on it. I tried to persuade, when I posted on my blog, I tried to persuade people that... If they were such fans of Bagwell that it was worth flying around the world to come. Yeah, right. That's um, going to happen. But I got a few sarky comments back, so um, <laughs> I'm not very hopeful that there's going to be many there. One or two people have, have promised to come. Yeah, so please, please come to um, the Geek Dinner. 23rd of February, up in London. Ah, oh, there is an incentive. They've had to put on a competition to encourage people to come. <laughs> which it's I thought getting was, worse. It's a bit it's desperate, isn't it? Yeah, so <laughs> this competition. They're off, actually, I'm really pegged off that I'm the one announcing it because I presume that means I'm not allowed to enter the competition and I'd really like to win it because they're, it? they're offering a ticket to South by Southwest do you know what that is? no, no. South by Southwest is like this huge interactive media conference that happens in the States and it's the one really the big one to go to a bit they're equivalent of app media really um, yeah that's why I've heard of it yeah so if you're in the UK, you can get yourself a free ticket to that by, there's some texting you have to do, and then when you come along, you have to come along to the Geek Dinner in order to win. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, check that out as well on the website. I think that's geekdinners.co.uk forward slash competition or something like that. Again, I'll put up links to it on the website. We Bible could have people site. sending texts on the evening, and that kind of counts as somebody there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so if they text in that counts during the, that without actually evening. having to sit yeah. through and listen to me I don't know what we're going to do I've no idea what we're going to say well you never have a problem with that Paul. I notice I've only got a half hour slot for both talking and questions so I figure I'm not going to have to say much at all no I think that'll probably be extended 
<laughs> what are you implying? Well, I well, both of us normally prattle on for hours. Anyone who listens to this podcast <laughs> regularly will know that. I mean, how much content have we got through now? And I think we've been going for uh, seven and a half minutes. Seven and a half minutes. <laughs> and we've only covered the first, but in fact, the second bullet point because you changed the mm. order. Okay, let's move on from geek dinners then. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, which is kind of topical at the moment, Internet Explorer 7 has released their second beta this week. I haven't looked at it yet. It's really quite cool. Um, it's kind of frustrating and cool at the same time. Right. I really like their interface. They've done some quite radical things that a lot of people are moaning and groaning about. Like, they've dumped by default, although you can put it back in if you want, they've dumped the... The normal toolbar, file, view, tools, new, all that kind of stuff that run across normally on right. any any Windows thing, which is a little bit of a Vista thing because they're talking about dropping that entirely and moving away from that drop-down menu way of organising things. So that's our first... Shock horror. In anger look. I know, it's quite <laughs> radical. That is. So what if you want to print or save or... It's, I, I, I'm watching videos on how Vista's going to work, and in particular Office, I think, was the one I was looking at. And it's basically task-organised instead. So you kind of go through and identify tasks that you want to do. I want to print. But how they're quite organising it, I can't really explain. You kind of have, have to, to have see it. Yeah. This, this is a prime example of where we should be a vo- video podcast instead of just a... Mm. Except nobody obviously wants to see our faces. No, but they might like to see things on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Bit of an issue with um, uh, connection speeds and yeah, and I'm not size I'm not paying the bandwidth for no, that exactly. Yes, uh, so we'd have to get sponsorship, and I'm not very keen on that either. So anyway, uh, so that's it's come out. So it's got some really nice stuff. The interface has been streamlined a lot. So from a web designer's point of view, I'm really happy because the the, the amount of screen space, the top bar takes up is is considerably less. Good. So you've got more that's above the fold. So that's good. It's got integrated RSS. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's a huge ripoff of Firefox. <laughs> They've implemented the tabbed browsing, all the kind of stuff that's it, it been in Firefox for ages. Was that the, it was a letter from Microsoft legal department just fell through years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> through years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You cannot break. Uh, you cannot support those claims. Yeah. One thing that they have done, which Firefox haven't done, and I haven't yet decided whether it's a useful feature or, or not, is because if you, you when you've got your tabs open, there's one little icon next to it which you can click, and it shows you all the different little thumbnails, all the different tabs you've got open, right. and shows you little pictures of them all. Why you'd want that feature, I'm not entirely sure, but it is very cool looking. Um, possibly if you had loads of tabs open where it truncates them so much you can't actually read what's on the different tabs, then a kind of little thumbnail view would be useful. But I no, I quite like that. You quite like that? Because I've often got 10 yeah. browser windows open. But it was just something that Firefox hadn't already done. Yeah. So I quite like that. The other thing that they've done, which is interesting, is they've standardised on Firefox's um, RSS symbol which I think is a good thing. That yeah. I don't consider rap- ripping off Firefox because it's good sensible. that there's one icon yeah. for, for all RSS feeds. So that's very cool. But unfortunately, it's still buggy. I found some very interesting bugs relating to CSS where um, if you import your CSS file instead of link to it, not that you know what I'm talking about, but yeah. some, some of them will. Yeah. Then basically it doesn't, things like rollover states don't display and things like that. So there are a few bugs in it. 
and it still is going to lack support for some of the fundamental CSS features like minimum and maximum width. So mm. if you make a scalable site, basically you're going to end up with flipping long line lengths, which is really annoying. Mm. And there's no sufficiently good way of stopping that from that I'm happy with anyway, especially with um, setting a minimum width. So there you go. That surprises me. Yeah. It's still buggy. Yeah, well, uh, no, the, the fact that it's still buggy doesn't surprise me because it is a beta. Well, all right, it's still buggy in the same way that IE6, you have to create sort of, you They're have to have create to an work IE7 around. workaround yeah. to make it. Yeah. So basically it doesn't fully support <laughs> CSS, mm. that's CSS2 anyway. But maybe it's um, it will eventually. Well, they're saying no. No. Which is, but I mean, it's a, they had a huge uphill battle to be fair to them, and I think the Microsoft developers mm. are actually really committed to making it web standards compliant. I think it's actually, um, it, you know, Microsoft itself I might not like, but I do quite like the developers and their attitude, and they blog quite regularly now and, and explain their logic behind everything, which oh, is right. nice. Okay. So that's cool. So I can tick that one off. We've talked about Internet Explorer. Okay, this is the bit you've been waiting for, Marcus. <coughs> this is Get ready um, for this, everyone. Yeah. Last, Doesn't happen every day. <laughs> last time that we recorded the podcast, and you know that we record two back-to-back, I, I couldn't have been on top form because I've got oh, a very... Just say it. <laughs> I've got a very long list of technical errors that I made. It is a really quite substantial list here. Um... <laughs> And uh, thank you so much for the lovely people, he says through gritted teeth, that went to the time and effort to write in, pointing out my inadequacies. <laughs> so I need to now go through and make a whole series of amendments to the, the last couple of podcasts. So here we go. Last week, when I spoke about web stats, um, I may have not been entirely clear on some of the things that I communicated. And Robert kindly wrote in to perhaps expand a little bit on some of the the comments that I made. You did start by saying, I don't know anything about web stats. Yeah, I did. So, so that should be enough to cover me, yeah. but obviously not. Um, I don't think... I talked a lot about um, the fact that some web stats packages are reliant on JavaScript being enabled, but I perhaps didn't explain the consequences of that, that if... If JavaScript isn't enabled, then it means that um, basically your, your stats won't be tracked for those people. Um, and I kind of exasperated the situation by, after saying that it was bad that some of these stats didn't support JavaScript, I then promoted Google Analytics, <laughs> which relies entirely on JavaScript. So be aware of the limitations of that. And um, yes, you might wish to choose something other than Google Analytics uh when using um if you're worried about javascript personally i'm willing to make the sacrifice i use google analytics on bag world and i love it and it gives me loads of stuff and i don't care that it's using javascript but now i'll get comments about that but anyway there are workarounds um there are some stats packages out there that have like a no script thing in that inserts an image in um and they track off the back of that image instead of the javascript file um but yeah Again, I, I don't know a lot about those, and I'm, so I'm not going to comment. Uh, finally, Robert felt that I should have raised, and I'm not, uh, some of these are subjective points, but I should have raised that. <laughs> don't laugh! 
<laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, just, I'm enjoying myself. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> you just like to watch me squirm, don't you? That um, I should have pointed out that if you use Ajax on your site, that it can actually create problems for your stats because you don't have page refreshes. Um, and so um, because you're not loading new pages, that's not been recorded in your log files and that can create all kinds of problems. So that's one of the drawbacks of Ajax. And it's funny because we actually talked about Ajax in the same podcast, so it would have been a, a logical um, link to make, but I didn't make it. So yep. I'm sorry. So, Robert, I'm sorry. I hope now you're happy. <sighs> okay, next. <laughs> next. Moving on. The next one was... Um, how do you reckon you say that name? I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Gerben? Gerben, yeah. Gerben. Gerben wrote in to say that I actually got confused with my pointless acronyms. Um, that I talked about flat, using Flash to replace text, didn't I? And yeah. I've talked to you since about it. It's yeah. a technique where basically... Flash image replacement. Yeah, flash image replacement. I'm already talking to clients about it. Yes, except... But well, no- I've got it wrong. You got it wrong, and now I'm giving... No, it. what you <laughs> said is correct, but the name is wrong. All oh, right. It's, it's not... It's not F-I-R, flash image replacement at all, because that is actually another technique entirely. Right. And it is actually CIFR. Right. Okay. So it's S-F-I-R. Don't ask me what the S stands for because I can't remember. Okay. So just point that out for Gerben so I don't get in trouble with him. Fair enough. Can I move on now? Yeah. I don't like dwelling on these things. Next. (laughs) (laughs) And this is possibly the biggest of them. You know when you're just like, you're talking. I mean, these podcasts are quite Talking and not thinking, yeah. Yeah, because you have to kind of think on the fly and... And occasionally little things <laughs> slip out slip out that aren't entirely true. But it was a quite a big one because we did a techno buster section on JavaScript, didn't we? We did. What is JavaScript? Well, and what isn't JavaScript. Yeah. <laughs> and what I said was wholly and completely inaccurate because I described JavaScript as a markup language, which it isn't. It's, it's not like language, it's it? not like CSS and HTML. I'm not going to get drawn it's into even what I do that. I'm not going <laughs> to say specifically what it is because I'll get it wrong again and just get in trouble. But it's just to make it clear, it's not a markup okay. language. I feel I've now done my dues of groveling. Excellent. Can I stop now? You can. Right. Last thing is, we did get a question from. Um, uh, how do you reckon you say that one? Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. Why did I want to say Rianne? Oh, no, I know because I got a friend called Rianne, who's a woman, and yeah. not Ryan at it's all. A Welsh name. Yes, Rian. Rian? Um, Ryan's a sort of very common. Yes, I had a, or I had a <laughs> mental block from her. look the pressure. Oh, I'm not doing these podcasts anymore. It's all right for you. You don't do a lot of speaking. No. Right well, now, you got people MSNing. How improf- unprofessional is that? Yes. Kill them then. Yeah, he wrote in a question. I'll be interested to know what you think about this. To put you on the on the spot, <laughs> you please shut the people up. Just log off of MSN. It's not difficult. <laughs> You're making even more noises logging off. Hang on. <sighs> you carry just, on no, no, I'm going to sit here and wait in silence for you to finish because this is a question for you. Are you done? You're taking a long time. La la la. You're going to edit this out, aren't you? <laughs> Of course I am. <laughs> so I need to make constant references to it through the whole podcast. Yeah, you can't so edit it out. Back and pick that one out. And yeah. So yeah, um, Ryan wrote in a question. I nearly forgot it again. Ryan wrote in a question about what we what we think about e cards. Do you know those e card things where you like virtual postcards, which you send to people? 
Yeah, I haven't seen those for a while. I know. And he was, he's got a client that wants them. What do you think? We did them for the National Trust, didn't we? And they worked rather well. Yeah, but that was, when was that? 1999, maybe? No, 2002. Really? Yeah. I just feel they're a bit... It depends on the quality of the image, if you like. Yeah, I suppose it does. with, uh, you know, when you've got Joe Cornish um, it, uh, landscapes and coastlines that you can send... Uh, relating to the coastline site for the National Trust, which is what I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, they work really well. But, yeah, generally speaking, they are a bit kind of ten years ago, also, five when, years ago. Whenever I receive an email saying, you have received oh, yes, a card. Oh, that's spam. Or it's it, yeah. it's a virus. Yeah. Bin it. Yeah. I would never follow a link in an email for something like that. No, um, <laughs> quite a funny story, actually. My parents sent me a, a birthday e-card that I dumped thinking it was a virus. Yeah, So exactly. there you go. Yes. That, that really wasn't that funny a story. No. Just, you know. Okay. I suppose it's the kind of thing parents do, yeah. isn't it? So, yes, Ryan, I think it's a big thumbs down to, to e-cards. If, however, anybody disagrees with me, you feel free to add a comment to the notes associated with this podcast telling me why e-cards are great. I'm sure you'll come up with some technical inaccuracy that I've just said, although I made Marcus answer the question, so you can guarantee there'll be a technical inaccuracy. Well, in as it. ever, I stayed firmly on the fence. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yes, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Yeah, you're a lot of good. Got to be a bit more controversial. It attracts, it'll keep the listener engaged okay. if you're controversial. E-cards are from the devil. What about that? Uh, E-cards are from the NAF 90s. There yeah, you go. NAF 90s. Good one. Okay, let's move on to our Techno Buster section. Um, this week we're going to look at the subject... So you're happy with my new musical interludes then? Oh, I can't say I've actually heard them yet. <laughs> I can't bear to listen to myself on these podcasts. So I never listen back to them, except to edit them. And I didn't edit last week's. In fact, I'm not editing them from now on because you say I'm rubbish at it. I thought it was just because you couldn't be bothered. Well, that's true too. Can I, can I move on now? Yeah, otherwise this is going to be the first hour-long podcast. I, I think it probably is going to be, actually, because I've got so much yet to cover. Okay, so this week's um, Techno Buster section is validation. Um, because often you hear uh, that your site should validate being thrown around, and, and not many people know what validation is, so I thought I'd give you a quick rundown. Um, I apologise for those that read my blog regularly, because um, this is actually just being ripped straight out of one of the articles in my blog. So we're going to look at what is validation, uh, why validate your HTML, and how to go about validating it. So what is validation? Well, validation of a web page is about checking to see whether that web page is written in correct HTML, you know, whether that uh, code is correctly formatted. And the page is basically checked against a number of um, rules um, to identify any errors or non-standard code that's crept in. Uh, and these rules are defined by the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, that basically define what HTML is, amongst many other things. Um, so that is what, in, in essence, what validation is. Why to validate your HTML? Well, there's basically there's loads of reasons why it's worth validating and making sure that your, your code is valid. One is that um, invalid code cannot be guaranteed to be displayed correctly in all browsers. All browser manufacturers obviously um, work to the standards laid down by the W3C. Now, because so many people um, code HTML badly, um, 
actually the browsers are very forgiving. What are you putting your hand up in the air for? Coding HTML badly. Well, because they because they don't create valid HTML. Yeah. No, me personally. I'm, oh, you? I would, oh, I see. You I are saying you know are... what proper HTML was if it came and bit me. No, that's very true. So yeah. yes, there are a lot so... of people like Marcus mm. um, that yeah have no idea what valid HTML code is. So because the web is a very inclusive medium, and you know everybody should be able to post stuff up online. The browsers are very forgiving about validation, uh, invalid code, but nevertheless, can't make any guarantees unless the code's valid. Right. Um, also, valid code's more likely to be future-proof. As new va- browsers come along, um, it's more likely to stand against the test of time. Um, valid code also will render quicker in the browser. So, in other words, it'll feel like the page is loading quicker because the browser isn't having to work out on yeah, flipping it, that tag isn't here, coded yeah. or yeah. closed, etc., etc. Okay. So it'll help from that point of view. It also makes life easier for search engines. So there is some anecdotal evidence to suggest that it improves search engine rankings as well, having valid code, uh, because it just makes it easier for the search engine to look around your site and understand your content. Um, and also you'll find your life a lot easier when you try and use things like JavaScript because in JavaScript you're often referring to various tags and things within your HTML and if your code is valid it makes it easier for that so there are loads of reasons why creating valid code is a good thing you missed one did I? yeah you can get a button on your site as well that says you have valid code (laughs) that's important to a lot of people you'd be surprised yeah I know (laughs) Well, a lot of our public sector clients want to have, oh, they have to. accredited by Bobby. Yeah. Who gives a monkey's bits whether <laughs> whether it's accredited by Bobby? That's like saying accredited by my Uncle Jim, you know, who knows nothing about the web. I oh, don't start me on that. Gah! <laughs> Automated checkers and... <laughs> right, let's move on. So how to validate your... Uh, your document, uh, your HTML. Well, probably the most well-known is uh, uh, that the W3C themselves provide a validator at validator.w3.org, which basically allows you to point at any web page and it'll tell you whether it's, uh, it's valid or not, and if it is invalid, where the problems are. But also things like Dreamweaver have got built-in validators as well that you can run against them. Um, but my f- uh, favourite is um, an extension to um, Firefox. See, fi- that's the reason why I'm never going to move back to IE, because Firefox <laughs> has just got such better extensions to it. Mm. So anyway, there's an HTML validator. Beer o'clock and things like that. <laughs> Beer o'clock. <laughs> why do I have you on this podcast with me? To make it more interesting. Okay. <clears throat> By saying things like Beer o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you it, does don't know, me, it does make me giggle every the, now and then. I don't know how many people now are going to go and look up and find out what beer o'clock is. Four, probably, because yes. we don't have that many subscribers. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's an extension. Look this one up instead. HTML validator for Firefox, which can be found at HTTP blah, blah, blah. Uh, users.skynet.be. This is not a snappy URL. Forward slash... I'm going to spell this M-G-U-E-U-R-Y forward slash Mozilla. I'll put a link on the Bagworld site. <laughs> probably probably best, yes. Um, 
Check that one out. The reason I like that one is because it's so just darn simple. Any page you ever surf to, you either get a tick, a cross, or a warning symbol. And that tells you whether it's valid or not. So there you go. Simple as that. I like that one. That's my favourite. Okay, so that's the Techno Buster section. Okay, so let's move on to the heart and soul of our podcast today. (laughs) um, Which is we're going to look at the subject of where your site fits into the sales process within your organisation. Now don't switch off. (laughs) Because I know that some of you are sitting there thinking... Salesmen, they're horrible. Well, that obviously. Everybody (laughs) hates people like you, Marcus, that sell them stuff that they don't really need or want. I've never done that ever in my whole life. I don't believe you. (laughs) In fact, I can sit here thinking about some client meetings we've sat in, and I've sat there thinking, these people really don't need a website. Well, that's different. Why is that different? Because you're just... uh, Let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) You're just ripping them off. Is that what you're going to say? No, they're going to spend the money anyway. So may as well be with us. That is a really tenuous link. If we were very moralistic, we would sit down in those meetings and say, look, we're happy to build your website, but... You don't need one. You'd be better off spending your money on a traditional print campaign or something like that. Mm, Nothing's ever that black and white, though, is it? Ever. No, I suppose not. So now you're sounding painted me really nastily. Now I'm not like that at all. I'm not. I Uh hate salesmen as well. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) We don't sell properly in Headscape, really, do we? No. We don't ring up and say like recruitment agencies every five minutes. Just go away. Obviously, they think Headscape's so successful that we recruit every thirty seconds. (sighs) Oh, I feel sorry for them after the time. Yeah, I know it's a rubbish job. I've always thought that selling is only okay if you're saying something that's sort of quality can I just interesting can I just point out a minute ago I said don't switch off and was about to tell them why and you interrupted so now they'll have gone (laughs) yeah my logic was sorry dragging it oh ah just hit my knee on the table (laughs) oh this is not going well today that's karma for being nasty to me oh is it okay so dragging it (laughs) vaguely back to the subject the reason I don't think you might be tempted to switch off because you might think, well, I don't sell pork pies online or whatever. Um, you know, I don't have an e-commerce site. So uh, why do I care about how my site sits into the, fits into the sales process? But I would argue that every site on the web, see, sweeping generalizations, yeah, yeah, people lovely. like that. Every site on the web without exception, exception is trying to sell somebody something. Okay. And I challenge you, Marcus, to think of a site that doesn't. I'm trying to think. Maybe a sort of reference sites where you go and find information. I mean, like Wikipedia, maybe. Yeah, but then they're trying to. They'd rather you went to them than another. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's take. I mean, uh, the, the kind of but the sites. They sorry, I'm still on this point. They don't. They don't <laughs> sell advertising, do they? No. So why but would they particularly? But it depends care? on. How, the key to this is it depends on how you define sales, yeah. right? And this 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 is my logic, okay? Yeah, I mean, in their boardroom, more hits would mean yes, we're doing better. Yes. So, so, so what I'm my argument is is that there are only I've got I managed to come up with one, two, three, four, five different types of websites on the web, and okay. it's probably not a comprehensive list, but it was what came off the top of my head. 
One is services sites, so sites like Headscape mm-hmm. that are selling a service, okay? So it's not selling a widget, but we're trying to sell our web design skills, yeah. okay? So we're <laughs> an example. But obviously ones that are selling a product, um, one of our clients, say Brainworks, for example, mm-hmm. that, that um, sold educational toys and things like yeah. that, and you actually did the whole e-commerce transaction, so there's those. There's also sites that are about opinion changing, so they're trying to sell themselves as an organization and perhaps changing preconceptions people have. So a good example of that is our latest client and avid podcast listener, uh, which is the uh, National Air Traffic Control people. Yeah, so National Air Traffic Services. Oh, sorry. So well, you've got to get it right. Yeah, as they are a client and uh, paying us money. Yeah, so uh, they're a good example of that. That they've they've received a lot of wholly unjustified um, criticism in the media. They've been through a major change in how and they work, and well. they've changed as an organisation. Yeah. There's all kinds of things that's gone on with them, and they're trying to change people's perception of them as an organisation. So we're saying with them more on them in later podcasts. Yeah, because uh, it's worth saying that Matt, the the guy that we're dealing with there, who who found us through this podcast, mm. is quite keen to use um, Nats as a case study. So we, you know, we're probably going to get him in at some point and and do a bit of stuff with him. Yeah, so start feeling nervous now, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're so intimidating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and all three people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Right, um, so there's those types. There's also um, some sites that are trying to gain volunteers or, or getting you to give some of your time. Um, so again, you, you, you may not be asking people to pay money, but you're trying to, to, to get some of their time. So National Trust Volunteers, for example, would be an example of that. And then there are purely informational sites like the AOMB, which again, AOMB as in areas of outstanding natural beauty we do a lot of work with. And they're just trying to convey information. But a lot of the time they're trying to convince people of something. Certainly. Change their attitude. Come to us, you know. Yeah. So I think everybody is selling to some degree on the web. And um, so what I want to do in today's podcast is talk about the basic sales process. Forget the web for a minute. Mm -hmm. But let's look generally at what happens to move a, a person from knowing nothing about your product or or what you're trying to communicate. Yeah, whatever that product. Yeah, product in inverted commas. Um, or not even knowing they have a need for anything to the point of making a sale. And then identifying within those different steps what, which of those steps are achieved through your website and which aren't. Mm. Because I think having a clear idea of where your website fits into moving people through that steps helps you to define the functionality that needs to be created, the, the content that needs to be written, etc. So I think that a prospect stroke customer passes through seven distinct phases. Um, and these are kind of well-known sales phases. You know, I'm not making all this up myself. This is um, a general, um, you know, process. Ethos within sales. Yeah. They're often methodologies. web designers don't know anything about because they're not salespeople. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a kind of what I describe as a satisfied ignorance. In other words, I am not aware of your product. I'm not even aware that I have a need for a product such as yours. I'm completely happy and the world is lovely and perfect. All right? So leave me alone. All right? So that's state one. Um, Now, I don't think the web can ever 
fulfill that to you know there's nothing the web can do about that step all right because if you're totally unaware of a uh, a need for a product you're not going to be looking for a website yeah unless uh, advertising possibly uh, yeah but i'm not talking today i'm not talking about online advertising mm. i'm talking purely about the website itself yes yes correct. online advertising can help move yeah. from that first step to what is our second step and the second step is making the user aware of a need, all right? So um, uh, sometimes that will happen um, internally. Sometimes it will happen externally. So, for example, a need might be, <coughs> Excuse me. I'm hungry, all right? <laughs> yeah. A very basic need. Yes, that is. So I need food, all right? Um, so an internal process is your belly starts yeah, rumbling and yeah. you get hungry. So you discover that need for yourself. Um, an external process might be you're walking down the street and you see an advert for Burger King or whatever. And it's yeah. got a nice big joppy, uh, you know, dripping burger with fat dripping out of it. And you think, oh, I could really eat that. Yeah. Right. So that. Ooh, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am really hungry. Actually, I'm going to have breakfast. Um, so, yeah, that's a kind of. That, that you know that's that's making them aware of a need now again i don't think a website in isolation can do that because if you're not if you're moving from that first point to that second point mm. you're not going to go to the website to find out that need it has to either be offline marketing or online marketing yeah agreed or, unless you have the ability through a website to transmit radio waves that make someone hungry yes which i don't know how to do um, they had that smell-o-vision site, didn't they? Right. <laughs> yes, yeah, smell-o-vision. Um, that's such a bad idea. Yeah. Right, so let's move on. So once you're aware of the, the need, there is also there's a stage called which I call information search, which is basically where you go about finding a way to fulfil that need. So it's a proactive process. Yeah. So um, some of that can be, and it, again, it breaks down into internal and external. So the internal process is, I'm hungry, I have been to Burger King before because I've been hungry, therefore I know that Burger King can fulfil my need. We should be sponsored by Burger King, shouldn't yeah. we? Or McDonald's or any other uh, junk food retail outlet. <laughs> That's the next one, let's just go through the door. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so basically, again, you can do it from memory. You know, I need a book. I've used Amazon before, therefore I go to Amazon. Yeah. Would be probably a more relevant example. Indeed. Um, But then there are external sources. Now, there are lots of different external sources. It's not just the marketing sources of online or offline marketing. There's also friends, family, a word-of-mouth type marketing as well. Um. So, again, the website in isolation doesn't deal with that. Possibly it does with word-of-mouth reference, actually, because if somebody's been to the website and have been impressed by the website, mm. they're more likely to recommend it. So, actually, yeah, I suppose it does, doesn't yeah. it? Um, so it can kind of fit into that pr- part there. Um, so, anyway, out of this information-gathering, information-search process, a user will eventually come up with a list of alternatives, I can buy from Amazon or I can buy from play.com or I can buy from wherever else. Um, So the next step is evaluation of alternatives. Okay. Now, I think that out of the, the, uh, this is the point where your website really starts to kick in. Yes, absolutely. Um, So 
as as your user goes from site to site um so let's let's pick an example that isn't directly sales let's say for example um uh an opinion changing situation like nats mm-hmm. okay um now nats has reorganized themselves as an organization um and so what what they're aiming at is very different so you might go to one website that talks about nats the old nats mm-hmm. the way nats used to be and then you would go to the the current nats site and you'll see obviously where you know where they want to position themselves now and you need to start comparing and contrasting that information to decide which you feel is more reflective. So there is a sales process there, which is more convincing, which provides a more convincing argument in that situation. The same can apply with volunteering, information products or services, whatever the type of your site. There is going to be some comparisons going on as they weigh their decision-making process. Um, obviously, it's most relevant, you know, take headscape for example you know all of our clients will look at multiple web design companies before they narrow down to uh, to a list of the ones they want to get in to tender mm-hmm. so they're making all kinds of decisions based purely on our website and our website is the only influencing factor at that at that particular point so information search is is where i believe that the majority of websites kick in for the first time and often is the most important part of all exactly mm-hmm. So, not information search, evaluating, <coughs> evaluating alternatives. Yes. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Right, and then there is the, the point where somebody makes the purchase decision. And then it gets down into a matter of specifics. Now, I think the number of websites that come into this point are less. Yes. Because, for example, the Headscape site wouldn't. You know, you, you wouldn't have to make detailed decisions about what services you were going to buy from Headscape. I think it does affect. You know, because we talk about we do design and we do, you know, application development, we do usability testing, we use accessibility. So they might be forming some kind of idea about the purchase they're going to make from us. Mm. Purchase in inverted commas again. Um, but it's most obvious on e-commerce sites. Yes. Where, you know, am I going to get a large, an extra large or a small? Am I going to get, am I going to take this deal where if I buy this one, I get this one for half price? That mm. kind of thing. So there's a kind of evaluation process that goes on there about deciding on your purchase decisions. Um, And then finally, there is the actual purchase. Um, Now, I think this this one does kind of affect all sites because the purchase can be, in effect, a call to action. So on the Headscape site, the purchase action, in some senses, is the contact us form. Yeah, we'll pick up the phone. Yeah, but you do need to be aware... In Headscape, I wouldn't really say that a service-based offer, I wouldn't really say the purchase is made online. It's an offline process, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. So, again, it's being aware that there is really, it's putting the website in its context. It's saying, we can say that our website needs to be, um, before it happens, needs to be affected by marketing that gets them to Mm -hmm. the website. All right. So things like this podcast, things like pay-per-click campaigns, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that exists before the website. And we know also that there's additional work to do after the website. All right. And that after sales stuff is really important as well. Yeah. So it's knowing where your website fits <coughs> into that process. And then the final step is the post-purchase evaluation. And this is really important as well. 
probably most important for e-commerce sites mm-hmm. now. And that's things like, um, it is the decision of whether I'm satisfied or dissatisfied with the service that I've received. Um, and it's about determining future purchases. So uh, things like your the tracking on your website for, for fulfillment of a product, confirmation emails to let you know what's happening, mm-hmm. uh, whether you get telephone support, you know, all those kinds of things relating to the website. So again, for e-commerce sites, that's more important. So the aim is to move a prospect, uh, prospect through those steps to the point of purchase. And it's about thinking about where your website fits into that process. Um, does it inform of the need even before it presents a solution, right? Mm. So, for example, does... Um, I'm just trying to think of a good example. Does the Headscape website actually try and convince users that they need a website? Doesn't, no. does it? Definitely. We have made a decision that we're presuming that people that come to our website want a website already. Mm-hmm. And they're really, the, the big point for us is evaluating the alternatives and picking Headscape. All right? Yeah. So it's not trying to persuade them that they're hungry, so to speak. <laughs> yes, um, it's to persuade them that they want a Headscape burger. Yeah. But for some people, for, for some websites, it is persuading them that mm. they're hungry. Yeah. You know, uh, for example, the National Trust volunteering site, I think part of its role is to convince somebody that they want to volunteer before they even try and convince them then that they want of to course. volunteer with the National Trust. Yeah, and e-commerce sites are the same. I mean, you may go to Amazon to buy a book, but you, they will desperately try and get you to buy another book or something else. Yeah. Or people that bought this bought some strange headphones. But they wouldn't, convi- they wouldn't try and convince you that books are worth buying. No, but they might try and con- convince you that those strange headphones are worth buying. Yes. So. Yes. No, that's very true. Um, I'm a classic example of that. Yeah. I went to Amazon. <laughs> I went to Amazon to buy Kath a book yesterday. Kath, my wife, uh, to buy her a book yesterday, and I saw this keyboard because it now knows what I like and what I don't like. And I bought World of Warcraft a book for World of Warcraft. Yes. Don't stop. <laughs> and they sell this keyboard that's customised for World of Warcraft. So I ended up buying that as well. I really confused so, Amazon. You know, it, exactly. Yeah. It thinks it knows you. Yeah. Excellent one. Uh, bought my daughter a CD by a band called Hawthorne Heights, which I actually quite like a lot. But they're a pretty heavyweight, right. sort of quite thrashy metal band. Not, they're not as thrashy as they could be, but they're up that way. And then I confused it by buying um, Bach's B minor Mass <laughs> <laughs> the, the next day Too or something. So it's great. It doesn't know what to do with me. When I no, come it's on, like... But I mean, they converted me from a £10 purchase up to a nearly a 50 quid purchase. Yeah. How, you know, flipping good, impressive. You've got to be impressed yeah. by that. Uh, okay, anyway, that's slightly off topic again. Well, it's not off topic, but... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so are you trying to convince people of the need for a burger yeah. or not? Um, does it communicate the solution? So you, are you... Um, are you helping with that information search process? Um, and I think to some extent, going back to Headscape, we do that bit of it. Yeah. That we, we, we explain that it's worth doing usability testing, right? So we don't just say, we do usability testing, please buy it. We do some informing and expanding on, the, on what your requirements might be. We explain that web standards are worth building with, yeah. that kind of thing. Exactly. 
Um, so does it, and then does it maintain um, the the prospect while you evaluate the alternatives? So this is the an important one. So what I mean by this is that as someone's evaluating the different alternatives, I'm going to use Headscape again because it's a really simple and straightforward example, and it's one obviously that I've thought through a lot more than many. Yeah. Um, they are going to look at multiple websites. Yeah. So how am I going to make sure they don't forget Headscape when they're looking at half it? I mean, some of our clients, one, what was it, a hundred and something? Yes. hundred and something different web design companies That's they look rare, at. Though, that is it? very rare. But certainly people look at a lot. Yeah, they'll so, look at probably between 10 and 20 yeah. and then narrow it down to... And then sometimes there might be a six-month, eight-month gap before they send out an invitation to tender. Mm. So how are you going to keep you in their mind and keep them you know keep them engaged and the, the answer is to keep them coming back to give them content that pulls them back again and again so that's why we do our um our um, rss feed and our news and yeah. articles and all that kind of stuff uh okay so yeah how are you going to maintain them through that evaluating of alternatives um, then also you get obviously into the issues of uh does it uh, manage your purchases online does it provide post-purchase uh, support and that kind of thing? So um, those kinds of that going, deciding where you fit into that sales process will affect everything on your site, which is why I moved it before defining scope. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's really important. It, it stops you putting a load of old rubbish on your site that a lot of people go well websites have this section that section and that section well actually you don't need that bit yeah because it's irrelevant to your sales process yeah yeah and it, um, you know it would be pointless for us to put onto our site a big section on there talking about why it's good to have a website yeah because it is getting in the way the the person is already further through the sales process and so it's actually distracting them from moving to the next step in the sales process so it'll affect your functionality, it'll affect your content, it'll even affect your design. So hopefully that has made you think a little bit differently about, uh, about your website and, and, and make you consider how, what messages you're trying to communicate, what you're trying to sell, and where your user is at in the decision-making process for that. Okay. That's great. Okay, so we say... In our introduction, or normally we say in our introduction, although I'm trying to avoid it, that this podcast is for everybody that designs, develops, and manages websites on a daily basis. Um, and I'm often aware that we talk quite highbrow about stuff, so I'm, I'm going to try and actually put in a bit more for designers and developers as well. Um, and I thought, so this week in the uh, web resources review, I thought I'd, I'll do something for you designers out there. And um, one of the things that I find always a bit of a tricky challenge when designing websites is picking color palettes um mm, yes especially because it, it can be such a an opinionated area where everybody's got their thoughts so i wanted to point you at three different uh resources that might help you with the the process of picking color palettes the first one is a website called darkeye.com and it's for probably worth going to forward slash archive.aspx um, and what's quite nice about that is that it's got a huge um, library of uh, web dis- different websites in there that have been submitted to it. Yeah. Um, and then it works out the color palette for each of those websites. So you can search on a color palette and find a design that matches it. 
Now, obviously, you can't rip that off directly, but you can use it as, as some kind of inspiration about see, how see colours work together, yeah. um, how they sit alongside each other. So check that one out. That's, that's a good one. Second one, that, uh, a little bit more basic, but very useful nonetheless, is something called uh, colorblender.com. Unfortunately, colour is spelt the American way, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll forgive them for that. Um, so <laughs> colorblender.com. Um, which is an online colour mixer. Basically, you select a colour and it suggests other colours that go with it. But to be honest, if you, you know, that's great because it's a free resource and you know, anybody can use it. But if you're, a, if you're a serious designer, then I really, really recommend a really cheap little product uh, called colorschema.com, again spelt with colour in the American way. Now, colour schema is a bit software that sits on your machine and I use it on every project without fail. And it allows you to um, select colors, match colors in different ways. Um, it uses all color theory techniques to, to assemble a palette. You can export that palette um, into Photoshop as a CSS file, as an HTML file. Um, it's really good for mocking up color palettes with clients. I use it all the time. And it also is on its website. They've got loads of... Um, sample color palettes as well that you can you know um you just pick up and use so now i highly recommend those three resources very good again i'll put links on baragworld.com forward slash podcast right i mean that about wraps it up for the main section there is a couple of things Mm. well there's one thing that i need to talk i need to be serious for a moment because i'm very passionate about this we (laughs) yeah we have been challenged Oh, yes. We have been challenged. There is a, a podcast out there. I'm sure they've just challenged us to, to get us to mention their podcast, but it's worked, so I'm going to fall for it. There's a podcast called Geeks on Tech, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they, on their last podcast, they were actually quite complimentary about Barrack World, so I'm not very angry at them. <laughs> but I am still fairly angry at them. Because they took the mickey out of my first podcast where I, I made a comment that I didn't feel... Um, very adequate to do a podcast because I was an American and every podcast I'd ever listened to was American and everybody was constantly saying totally awesome and dude through the whole thing. <laughs> Did you actually say totally awesome and yeah. dude in the first one? I must uh, go back and, and, find then, it. and well, sample it. <laughs> yeah. And then I gave the English equivalents of those words. Oh, right. So um, I explained that whenever somebody, yeah, um, somebody in, uh, wherever I said, um, very nice indeed. That meant totally awesome. Okay, so yes. I did a bit of interpretation. That's excellent, yes. So the guys at Geeks on Tech have, have, have tried to encourage us to do an entire podcast in an American accent. My comment is, is simply this. Why? Why would we want to bastardise the most beautiful language in the world? The language of Shakespeare. The language of Churchill. Queen, the Queen's, the Queen's English. English. Why yeah. would we want to degrade that language to the slang that is American? It's called the English language for a reason. And I, there is no way I'm going to stoop so low as to, as to use American. I, go, well, I can't even bring myself to call it US English because it's yeah. not. It's, I mean, trash can. Mm. What is it? Diapers. They can't even spell for crying out loud. So, you've just lost the most most of our audience. I don't care. 
<laughs> you do I, know that his tongue is firmly in his cheek. I feel this. at this point you need to put behind this, you know, things like Rule Britannia Absolutely. or Jerusalem or something, you know, something very patriotic. Well, I've got a very, Just, a very, very appropriate joke. Well, all I can say is God save the Queen. <laughs> Knowing what a monarchist you are. Well, yeah, Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, uh, so you've got a joke? I have got a joke. Uh, many thanks to Adrian Hodge, who sent me through loads, um, most of which I can't repeat. But uh, <laughs> this, this, one is, this one's great, because it's, uh, it's uh, very appropriate to what to, to Paul's little diatribe he just had. Uh, this was uh, apparently from a British national daily newspaper, who were asking uh, readers what it means to be British. Um... Oh, sorry, I've lost my place. Uh, some, some of the emails are hilarious, but this is the one from a chap in Switzerland. Being British is about driving in a German car to an Irish pub for a Belgian beer, then travelling home, grabbing an Indian curry or a Turkish kebab on the way, to sit on Swedish furniture and watch American shows on Japanese TV. <laughs> and the most British thing of all? Suspicion of anything foreign. <laughs> <laughs> That is, that is brilliant. That is really true. That's Absolutely. the sad thing. Every word of that is completely true. I don't drink Belgian beer, but that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> other than that, it's just absolutely classic. I don't mean it, really. Of course he doesn't mean it. We just feel that because we're so... We used to be such a powerful nation that we have to kind of we're just bitter. fight above we're our weight. We're bitter and twisted. Yeah. And America have got all the good toys these days. And all the, all the good web stuff always happens in America first as well. Even, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, even the majority of the good music these days is coming out of America. That's really sad. Mm. Oh, well. <sighs> Such is life. I'm really depressed now. Should we finish? Yeah, let's, okay. let's call it there. So, send um, your comments or questions, or just general hate mail now, <laughs> to paul at boagworld.com. Um, yes, I think I've deserved the hate mail this week. But if you want to talk to Marcus for any reason, like to send him more jokes, because uh, he needs an ever-ending supply, uh, British bashing jokes are accepted. Of course. Um, then send them to Marcus at boagworld.com. And as always, don't forget uh, to check out the boagworld.com website. And don't forget also, we've got a little Flickr group um, on there as well, which you can get to by the boagworld.com website, where you can post up questions and things like that. And you can also, there are always notes associated with every podcast we do, and if you've got any comments, you can post them on as well, there as well. We really could do some MP3 questions. We haven't had any for a while. Yes, please send them. So if you have a question, send us an MP3 file, and we'll put it on the show. Thanks very much. Talk to you next week. Bye.